Before we get started, I wonder if you know someone who has drifted from faith in Christ. There's somebody who, whether it was fast or slow, that they were close to Christ and now they are farther away. Uh, Maybe it's even somebody who is close to you. Uh, there has been a lot of discussion in recent years about deconstruction or deconstructing their or people who have been de- deconstructing their faith. They are people who are reevaluating things that they had assumed. They are uh, questioning aspects of their faith that had previously gone unquestioned. And while some people have walked away from faith, other people have actually seen an invigoration of their faith. They've shifted in their theology or practice. And I want to tell you, this might be a little bit surprising for you because I am a pastor. I think that that can be really healthy. I think it's healthy for us to be able to question things, to grapple critically with things that have previously just been based on assumptions or been handed to us that we just inherited without reflection. But, and this probably won't surprise you because I'm a pastor, I think that people will be, should be able to rebuild more on the words and life of Jesus, to be able to build back something that is based on a pattern of life that God wants us to live and on the words of Jesus himself and to build something that's more solid. A ship that is on the ocean that travels for a long time does eventually start to pick up bits that stick to it, barnacles and other things that stick to the bottom of the ship. And occasionally it needs to come into dry dock to be cleared off of those things because a ship that has all those things attached to it is is less efficient. It doesn't ship the way it's supposed to. It doesn't sail the way it's supposed to. And I think our pattern of faith can be kind of similar, that over time we can kind of pick up some things that don't necessarily belong with it, that hinder us from traveling as efficiently or in the the way that we are supposed to. And occasionally, sometimes, as disciples, we need to have those things get scraped off. One 29-year-old writer, uh, there was, I read an article about a a woman who, she has called her journey of, uh, of deconstructing, she actually called it disentangling. And it's a process, she said, where she's separating out the truth of Christianity from the unhealthy version that she had growing up. I thought that was a really healthy way to talk about it. So there there are things that we probably are going to need to emphasize more because they haven't been as much a part of our practice or our belief. Or there are other things that we maybe have been overemphasizing that maybe need to get toned down a little bit and aren't quite as important. For me, a lot of my own deconstruction or disentangling happened a lot abroad. If you know me, you know that I lived in France altogether about nine years. And I, I think... The, the people that I met, I met really faithful people who loved the Lord, but who had really different assumptions about what was really important about our faith. And they helped me to grapple with that. People from France, people from the Middle East, who wanted to sincerely, deeply follow Jesus, and, but they pushed me to see that there were aspects of my faith that were actually just more American than really Christian. And there were other aspects that, uh, I, they just pushed me to wrestle with Scripture sometimes, too really helpful. I noticed that there were areas that I'd been overemphasizing and places that I had been underemphasizing too. So I hope for you in your own journey with Jesus that you also will have some of your flimsy assumptions challenged 
by Jesus that will make you to more solidly base your faith on Christ, who is the rock. That's what we want. Because Jesus is an amazing person. He's an amazing guy. Throughout Scripture, we see he is somebody who is calling people to follow him. And, And for everybody, it's going to require them to lay aside their previous life and to come and follow him. And we're going to need to let Jesus speak for himself as he does that. And it comes down to this. Hey, is Jesus going, is he the person that he says he is? And if so, will we follow him? How will you respond to this person of Jesus? And he is not, this guy Jesus, he's not always going to make it super easy for you to follow him because he's going to say things that are hard and he refuses to be fit into the boxes that we want to put him in. And we're going to see that super clearly in the passage that we're reading today in John 6. And it's a little bit of a longer passage. I invite you, Jen, to come up here and read our passage in John 6, please. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, Many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. If you are just joining us, we are in a series where we are looking at questions that Jesus asked. And as the master question asker, Jesus is going to elicit a lot of different responses, but his questions are very purposeful, masterful. He's the master question asker. He asks questions in a way that help people to see God differently. 
in ways that help us to understand ourselves and even challenge the way that we see ourselves and that elicit a response from his hearers. And he will elicit a response today for sure. So earlier in the chapter that we just, or a lot of what we just heard from, Jesus miraculously feeds a group of people by multiplying bread. And he feeds this whole huge crowd. And the people were happy. People love it when you give out free stuff, right? So he gives out a bunch of free stuff and people start to follow him. They're very excited about it. But Jesus he resists because they start to push. They're so excited about him. They try to make him their king, it says. They said, this is the best guy ever. We want you to be our king. And Jesus refuses that. He withdraws from the crowds purposefully to get away from what they're trying to do. And he, he, wanted, he doesn't want to become king on their terms. He is the king, but he doesn't want it to be on their terms. He doesn't want to fit into the box that they want to force him into. Eventually, though, the crowds do chase after him and find him after he has withdrawn, and he greets them, and he starts to teach them. And he teaches them. He says, he says listen, I, you are following me because I gave you bread to eat, and that's not why I want you to follow me. And he's not swayed by these big crowds. He doesn't allow himself to be controlled by popular opinion. And really, we have to be able to say, if his, if his mission was just to draw a big crowd, he would have kind of fed off of that. But he, that wasn't his main issue. That wasn't the main objective that he was going for. So he rightly withdraws from them. So when they do find him, though, he points out, he says, listen, the, the physical bread that I gave you, it was never the point. The idea is that that bread points to true bread, to true spiritual bread. And I'm that bread. A lot of times we want to tell God what we're willing to accept about God. We, we want to set the parameters of our relationship. We, we try to set the terms of our friendship with God. But we need to allow Jesus the dignity of defining for himself what it means to be Jesus. And he defines himself here and what it means to follow him in pretty surprising terms. Uh, he calls himself bread from God. And he, we can see a subtle change in the audience as he, as he moves from being somebody who just gives out free bread to starting to have this teaching. And they, they start to give him more of a cold shoulder as he talks about being the bread from God. And um, he says he is the, the new and better manna. Maybe you don't know that term. Manna was the name that the people of God gave to this sweet bread that was given to the people uh, during the Exodus, this time when people left from slavery in Egypt and were uh, brought into the promised land when God was with them in a very special way when God gave them his law and he needed to sustain them on that journey and he gave them this bread called manna. And Jesus says, that manna was good, but I am better. Which is crazy because the manna and the exodus, that is kind of the key moment in Israel's history when they be, really became a real people. And, he, and this is the key moment of relationship between God and the people. And when he gave their law, he says, I'm more important than that. He says in verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. 
But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. I think just imagine their shock at this. Manna was good. I am better. It's a huge, shocking statement to make. There is, there's a perception in our society today, I think, that, that Jesus was, people would say maybe that he was a good moral teacher, and that it's kind of Christians who take the Jesus thing a little bit too far. That, that Jesus, if we kind of let him just speak for himself, then he'll be more palatable for people. People will be able to handle what he says a little bit more. And usually people who say that are probably only familiar with a little bit of some of the things that Jesus said. Uh, the thing, as you start to read more of the stories about Jesus' life, what you end up finding is that Jesus is both more divisive than you ever really thought before and also more compelling than what you maybe had considered before. He is an amazing guy. We see that he's compelling because look at the crowds who are coming to him and who are excited about him, but he's also very divisive in the things that he says. It is very challenging. So it's not the disciples who are causing the problem here. And, and maybe, maybe for some of you, maybe you do know Jesus' words, and you know people who have said, Kurt, it's not Jesus' own words that really have been the problem for me. It's been Jesus' followers. And that has been true for a lot of people. Let's just admit that there have been people who have been driven away from following Jesus because of Jesus' people. And we're going to get to that in a little bit more. We're going to talk about that. But I want to say, we're going to focus in a bit that Jesus himself is divisive. Because his own words, specifically in this passage and elsewhere, don't really allow us to treat him as if he were a kindly dispenser of sweet teachings. We, we want to be able to treat Jesus like as if he was some kind of like first century uh, uh, fortune cookie dispenser. Like it's, it's like something that's kind of a nice platitude that's kind of like makes you chuckle for a minute, but after a minute you just kind of chuck it away. But that's not what Jesus allows himself to be thought of. And it's strange because people, it's strange that people could nowadays think that he could be a good, just a good moral teacher because in Jesus' own day, that was not the kind of reaction that he elicited. He did not elicit a kind of a plain, banal reaction from people like, oh, that seems so great, and then you're able to move on. It's not like that. Author C.S. Lewis, you can put the quote up there, he says this in a much better way than I could. I'm trying here, in his argument, to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that is Christ. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus had said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So Lewis is arguing that Jesus, uh, it, it's this summarized, this argument is summarized as he's either a lunatic, a liar, or a lord. 
Uh, a lunatic has these visions of grandeur, thinks that they're really wonderful, but they are, they, after a while in history, they are kind of forgotten or pushed aside. Uh, if, if he were a liar and trying to bring in the masses in this way, then it would be right for us to reject him as demonic. He's leading people away from God. And it doesn't seem like he's necessarily trying to be a liar because usually liars try to get bigger crowds and not chase them away. Or he is Lord. So Lewis is saying we can call him a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. And if you haven't decided where you stand, you might kind of want to hold off a minute because he's going to say crazier stuff here in a minute. Uh, and I don't, I don't know what you imagine when you were imagining this scene when it was being read. It said in verse 59 that all this took place in a synagogue in a town called Capernaum. I've actually been to the site. It's an amazing place. Capernaum is right on the edge of the Sea of Galilee, and that's what Melody talked about last week. She gave a great description of this large inland lake, and it's, it's this, uh, so it's on the seashore, but they are in the synagogue. So for you and a lot of your experience, let's just say you imagine this is taking place at church. He's, they're in a group of people, and they're basically in church when he's saying this. And you may have heard some strange sermons or weird preachers in your day, but you have never heard somebody say something like this. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Yeah, I'm talking about myself, right? So this is crazy. He, the, there's this progression as he goes through his teaching. He says, I am the bread of life. That's already a pretty big statement. Uh, your ancestors ate manna in the desert but still died. Here is bread that you can eat and not die. Okay, he's kind of amping it up a little bit. So you don't misunderstand me, I'm that bread. Eat me and you will live forever. Oh, and one more thing, the bread, it's actually, it's my flesh, which gives life to the world, and you, you need to eat it. And so the people who were present in the synagogue, they kind of get a little uneasy. They start to freak out, and I think that we kind of understand. This is a little bit strange. They have just heard the weirdest sermon in their whole lives. They're kind of scared and traumatized, and I think... I, I, why would anybody ever stand up and say something like that? It's not normal. So it's not surprising that that is the moment when people kind of start to either mentally or physically start to have one foot out the door. This is not what I wanted. Verse 60, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? The, I think the assumed answer to that is nobody can. This is, this is kind of ridiculous. And if they were kind of waiting for Jesus to say, nah, just kidding, you know, or something like that, I don't know. Verse 61, he says this, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Well, yeah, it's not normal. This is, this is weird. And so I think I get why people are starting to walk out the door right now. They have perceived Jesus as being kind of a wacko. I think of a lot of people in time want to distance themselves from people who say kind of off-base things. Kind of think of Adidas making a little bit of space between them and Kanye these days, right? They're willing to pay a billion dollars to make that kind of distance. 
So they're, they're, what we're saying is we don't want to even be associated with you and the things that you're saying. And so in the Lord, liar, lunatic argument, the people who are there kind of vote in lunatic right now, right? Not voting for him. The, the votes for lunatic are starting to stack up. And it kind of makes us wonder, why would anyone stick with somebody who says words like this? Why would they follow a guy like that? When we hear Jesus' teachings, if you are familiar with Jesus' teachings, I think we kind of unconsciously categorize his teachings into several different categories. The first one are things that are kind of universally acceptable sorts of things. So we, we think of the passage that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, do not judge. We shouldn't judge other people. I think that that's something that, that when we hear that, we think, yes, that, that resonates with us and maybe hard, but we, it resonates with us. We think of the parable of the Good Samaritan where the, good, the Samaritan was acting kindly to a neighbor. He was caring for somebody else. And so people today, I think, can easily get behind statements like this. I think that it's, it's something that feels like it, it fits with the way that we see the world. So it's kind of easy to cheer Jesus on when he says that kind of stuff. Then there's, there's a second level that we get to. And these are things that Jesus said that were maybe beautiful, but they were really challenging. But they, they don't necessarily shake our worldview. They, just, they make us a little uncomfortable. So things like when Jesus said, but I say to you, love your enemies. That's, it fits kind of in what I would understand about the world, but it's still really difficult. Or Jesus challenges these religious people called Pharisees, and he, he said, I don't want you to let your tradition get in the way of worshiping God, I, serving God. I, I get that. Or things where he said, like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So those are, those are really challenging statements, but they don't necessarily shake our worldview or really buck directly up against the way that we see the world. It's already hard. But there is this third level of things that Jesus teaches that completely divide, that definitely run up against the things that we believe. And, and I want to say the things that get into the third level differ by culture and by time period in the world. Different things that Jesus has said throughout his ministry hit different cultures and people hard in different ways and in this kind of shocking way that feel really divisive to us. But these particular statements, I think, were divisive not just for us, but even in Jesus' day. When he says things like, take up your cross and follow me. Maybe it doesn't even hurt us quite as much as it would have at the time when Jesus, in Jesus' time when people would have seen people crucified. He's saying... It, it, come accept your death sentence and be with me. Or he says things like, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Very challenging to our culture and then. And this teaching here about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Uh, if you are going to follow Jesus, I will say, there are going to be some things that are going to be difficult for you to handle. There are going to be some things that are going to challenge you. Everyone in church should be troubled or offended by Jesus at some point. That's kind of what he's aiming for. Our goal is not to try to package our faith in a way that never challenges us or never offends our sensibilities. If God really is God, then we shouldn't expect God to always agree with everything that we think or everything that we do. 
because that would just be a figment of our own imagination. If God really is God, it should challenge our cultural values. He should, he should challenge us personally in different ways. That means that God is actually God. So when we run into something that's difficult, we have a couple of different choices. We can try to force God back into the little box that we've got for him, or we allow God to be maybe bigger than what we thought before. It talks about Jesus being the cornerstone that people trip over and fall. That's him. But we always begin to know that if we're following Jesus, then there are going to be things that are going to be difficult for us to handle. There are going to be things that will challenge us. But I want to say, if you are thinking deeply about any kind of philosophical system, uh, atheism, or whatever it may be, there are going to be things in that mindset that will challenge you. And I've got a lot more to say about that. Maybe we'll do a little extra thing online about that uh, this week. But now, Jesus has said something that is really unpalatable to the people who are there. It seems like it's something that he says that kind of tastes funny to them. And the question is, are, the, are his disciples going to accept this as part of following him, or will they reject him? I know some of you are picky eaters. Uh, some of you are still very picky eaters. There are some things that I still don't love, but I kind of do okay with, with a lot of things. Uh, when my kids were toddlers, we purposely tried to make them interact with lots of foods to try lots of different things. Didn't totally work, but that was the theory. Uh, the theory was that they would be able to try lots of things, not just to be adventurous. We wanted them to learn to be kind of a, have a an adventurous palate to try different things. But we know that you know when you try different food, it helps you to have different nutrients and to be able to get all the things that you need to be able to, um, to live in the world. But I got to say, most kids, and maybe this is your case as well, if we left them to their own devices, they're going to survive on macaroni and cheese and dino nuggets, right? We just described Jay Denton's whole food throughout the whole week. He, he was the only one giving me a fist pump in the back, right? So, for those kids, for the kids who do have that kind of, uh, kind of a, the yellow-brown palette of food, they like that, um, if there is a vegetable that accidentally and sneakily makes it into their mouth, that vegetable runs the risk of being spat back out, correct? Right? And maybe the plate flies across the, the, the floor. And I think that that is kind of what just happened to the crowd with Jesus, they just kind of got a sneaky spiritual vegetable in their mouth. And the question is going to be, what are they going to do about this? Are they going to spit it out and maybe toss the whole plate of Jesus away? Or are they going to say, what just happened? And ask some questions a little bit more. We can admit that all of us kind of tend toward wanting a spiritual diet of macaroni and cheese and dino nuggets. Okay? Let's just admit that I want things that don't challenge me. I, I prefer a world where I don't get challenged. I like it that way. But that's not what God wants for me because he wants me to have a, a, a varied diet so I get everything I need. And some of what I need is to be challenged. So at, at this point, some people reject Jesus. Some people stick with him. And the thing that ends up dividing the people who stay and those who go is, is kind of their level of trust in Jesus to be able to stick with this weird thing that he just did. There, there are people today who have really big questions about who Jesus is. 
And you probably know people who are disillusioned. Maybe it's even yourself. You have really big, troubling questions. We wrestle with things in our faith. And, and I think that it's okay for us to say, sometimes we go through periods of disillusionment. Sometimes we are really troubled. And what, the, I guess the question is, what can make you continue even when you have really big questions, when you are feeling really disillusioned or challenged? And, and I just want to say, there are lots of really good reasons that people do lose their enthusiasm for Christ. Can we just acknowledge them? Uh, some people just become convinced that it's not true. I think if you've gone through that process, I kind of, I get that. Uh, I don't want, I don't want to say that that's not the case as well. Um, but a lot of people have had really bad experiences with Christians. We know this is the case. Uh, maybe they had something bad happen to them, specifically from people in authority. That is a huge issue in the church. And I, and I just want to say, maybe let's remember to please pray for our leaders. Pray for me. I, I never want things that I say or that I do to be a hindrance for somebody or for it to cause somebody to question God's goodness. But that's also lots of us. People usually talk about their parents when they talk about what experience they had with faith. What does that mean? So it is good for us all to have accountability. Leaders need accountability. You do as well. And all of us can um, ask questions about how are we expressing what it means to have faith in Christ. Uh, some people also stop uh, following Jesus because they were kind of doing it for other people maybe. And I, I think that there's a, there's a legitimate... <laughs> Uh, I understand why they would stop doing that. But there are some other reasons that are very real for people, but maybe are a little less legitimate or valid for dismissing Jesus entirely. They're, they're, how about this? I understand why somebody would reject because of it. I understand the pathway of a heart, uh, but this isn't the way that we're supposed to go. Maybe, maybe it was really costly for them. Uh, following Jesus can be very countercultural at times. Uh, they might be getting grief from their family and friends. Also, specifically, depends on what kind of family and what friends you have. Uh, that can be a real pressure for people. I understand that. Uh, it can be sometimes a pathway that we follow down because of our own disobedience. Uh, we are, we are, we are not, our spiritual life is not separate from our physical life. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller tells a story about one time there was somebody who had kind of suddenly had had really big questions about faith that hadn't been there before. And I, it was kind of a cheeky way to ask it, but he, he actually asked this person, who are you sleeping with? And the guy said, wait, 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 how did you know? He said, well, and, and, I, and I, that we can recognize that there are sometimes, there are things that come, sometimes questions come from an incongruity between our actions and our faith. If, if we start stealing stuff at, at work, I'm going to try to find a way to make me not be the bad guy in that situation. So this incongruity between our actions and our faith, because we will cause us to raise big questions either about ourselves or about uh, the system that we're a part of. So I think that, that can cause us to ask questions. We can pray for people as well in that, because we're, we are physical and spiritual beings together. Let's put those together. Um, or maybe just sometimes people get a little distracted. Uh, it's easy to get distracted and kind of lose our 
passion for Christ. I think that there are lots of different reasons. There's probably more reasons. Maybe you thought of more reasons this week. That was one of the questions that was in our study guide. And you probably know people who are in each of those different categories. It's really hard. And we want to pray for people. I think we, we don't look at people with a judgmental attitude. Uh, that's not the idea. The question, the question for ourselves is what, is, what is, what are the factors that could cause me to lose my passion for Christ? What are things that I can do to encourage other people? That, those are the bigger questions, not for any kind of judgment. We talked about don't judge people a couple weeks ago, so refer to that one. Okay. But for these people in the crowd, it is connected. It isn't something that the disciples did. It isn't because they have gone through some existential crisis. It's not because there had been some, some change in the way that the Roman society viewed Jesus and now it's against him. It was the words that Jesus was actually saying out of his own mouth. That's why they are rejecting him. And so it comes down to this question that the disciples asked last week. Who is this person? Because if he is who he says he is, then we do have a framework for handling what he is saying there. If he's lying about this, he should be condemned. If he's a lunatic, we should just forget about him. But if he is Lord, then we should follow him and we should reevaluate what it means for us to think about what he is saying. Because we should follow him. In verse 69, he says, he doesn't just offer us the words of eternal life. He says that he is the Holy One of God. In other words, Jesus doesn't just offer the bread of life. He is the bread of life. Jesus wants to give us himself. And as Jesus is watching these crowds head away from him, he turns to his key disciples and he asks them this question in verse 67. You don't want to leave too, do you? And, and when we read that or when we hear that question, I don't want us to think that Jesus is freaking out. That, that is, he is not thinking like, no, 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 please don't you guys go too, please. No, no, no. Like, that's kind of what I would be thinking. That's not what he is saying because uh, in the original language, it's phrased in a way that he is expecting the disciples to say no. Uh, he's, he's saying something like, but that's not you guys, right? So the answer is, no, 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 that's not us. It wasn't them. Listen to Simon Peter, verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. So at the moment that a bunch of other people are being disillusioned and and going away, Peter is hanging in. And I wonder for you, as you run into difficulties, as, as the things that you have counted on in your life, maybe at some point those things fall away. You have moments of difficulty or disillusionment. The question is, how are you going to rebuild? What are you going to build back in that place? Some people who are here today have not come to the point of being able to agree with Peter to say, where else should we go? But as we learn about Jesus, I think we can understand that Jesus has the best story out there. So I want to encourage you to take that step of saying that you also believe that he is the Holy One of God. But what we can't say is that he's just a good guy. We're tempted to try to put him in that box because if if we put Jesus just in that box, then he's less dangerous for us. He doesn't affect us or, or challenge us as much. But if he's not lying... And if he's not crazy, then 
He must be who he says he is for as difficult as his words might be. And what is wonderful is, as a perfect leader, Jesus didn't try to use force on us. He didn't try to trick us. He's not being manipulative. He didn't coerce the crowds or try to use whatever kinds of tricks that he would use. He gave his life for humanity. That's the kind of leader that we have. He doesn't take from us. He gives to us. And he was vindicated by rising from the dead after he was killed on a cross. And in a moment... I would like for you to consider praying, and I want to encourage you to consider calling out to God. And and maybe you have never done that before, but Scripture says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I kind of want to give you a moment to think about that while we challenge some other people too. So I said that some of the reasons that people become disillusioned is because of they have experienced hurt from other Christians. That's probably one of the top reasons, to tell you the truth. But the opposite can be true as well. I would like for you to consider that, that one of the things that helps people to have a spiritually vibrant life can be from interaction with other Christians, Christians who challenge them and help them to get energy in their journey with God. So if you are somebody who has come to believe that that Jesus is the Holy One of God, I I want to ask you to encourage some other believer. So I have a couple of next step ideas. I would love for you to share a story about how God has disentangled false ideas about who he is and rebuilt better ideas for you. So what I'm thinking of, maybe there's some time that God just got bigger for you. Some way that you've seen God work in your life this week and to challenge somebody else with those things. Or maybe a simpler way to do that is to just share a verse that has been meaningful for you lately. I, I ha- this last week, I was sitting at the coffee bean, and I am a conversation eavesdropper. I just, I'm just going to tell you. I, do, I totally do. I looked like I was reading. I was just listening. And, uh, uh, but I heard a wonderful conversation between an older lady and a, and a younger woman who were there. And she, the, the older woman was just encouraging her in her faith. And their conversation started off with, you seem like you haven't been yourself lately. And she went on to encourage her in her faith. And I heard her quoting scripture. I heard her challenging her, asking really good questions. And it, it seemed like it was going well. I actually left. I couldn't hear the end of it. Um, but um, I guess I'm not a fully committed eavesdropper, am I? I guess. Um, but that seemed like this to me. She was encouraging this other woman, saying, you can do it. I'm with you. I'm praying for you. I notice you. I, I, I want you to have a vibrant life with Christ so we can do that for each other and we can challenge one another. All right, we're going to continue in this series of asking questions, looking at the questions Jesus asked, uh, and uh, we're going to see next week a group of friends who are helping their friend come to follow Jesus. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, we, this passage has challenging words, but the question is, Does this offend you? Who is this? I pray that, I want to ask you, if you have never directly talked to God, to take a moment, say, God, I have maybe had some false ideas about who you are. I want to let you define who you are. That you are the true bread, the one who gave his life for me, and I'm supposed to feed on that supposed to eat you, that you're the thing that should sustain me.
God, I have not followed you. I have not wanted you. I've rejected you or I've ignored you. But God, I, I ask you to change me. I believe that you are the Holy One of God. For as much as I, even if I believe it like a little bit, God, I need you. And I ask you to come and change my life because of what Jesus did on the cross. And for the rest of us, Lord, we ask you to make us people who are motivated by that story of Jesus, to really see you as, as foundational to our whole world, our whole life. May we encourage one another because we all get disillusioned along the way and we need, a, we need to be carried along by others. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.